Greetings, SE land. This is Twig. Twig's SE Reflections, episode number 46. Episode number 46 of a podcast series meant for, I don't know, encouraging, somatic experiencing students and practitioners out there around the world who are taking the SE training, working with clients in this particular kind of way of giving a whole lot of credibility and credence to the the insights of people like Peter Levine and Stefan Porges, the guidelines and somatic experiencing, all the faculty that have been helping move that work around the world, and then all of us that are thinking about the role of our biology and how we feel and how our clients can be more informed or more participatory with their somatic experience, their felt sense experience in a safer kind of way than maybe they typically find themselves either paying attention too much to their body experience, paying attention too little. Instead, we're looking for that opportunity to say, hey, this is safe enough to feel this right now and have that become integrated between your mind and your body, your brain and your body. Yeah. Well, that's a heady kind of thing. Here I am. I'm a cheerleader, an advocate, bit of a cultural animator, Anthony Twig Wheeler, and I am going to talk to you something something today on this episode number 46 on crying <laughs> and our kind of clinical experience in crying with somatic experiencing. Now, I got to tell you, because I, I, I got to come back to this every once in a while. This is not going to be exhaustive. I cannot be exhaustive on a podcast right now. This is this is more like catalyst nature. This is something something to get you sparked up and wondering, wow, next time I encounter that in my office, how am I gonna how am I gonna apply my knowledge and experience, my library of experience, how am I gonna apply my skills that much better knowing that I'm not alone in here? Look at here. Look at this. Crying. It's a big subject. Big, big subject. And lots of people have lots of great and important and I would say much fancier insight into its reason and rationale, what it does for you, why it happens, all of that. Mm, can't go there. What I can say is that in thinking about this episode for some time now, I've been I've been remembering that there there was a time that I used to hear, more so in the past, don't hear this very much anymore, but maybe it's still out there. I would hear this idea or commentary when I was introducing somatic experiencing to people where, well, you know, people would say, well, SE, that, that stuff's like anti-emotion or, yeah, you guys don't work with emotions and that kind of thing. And I, I would think to myself, where did they get that idea? Where does that come from? And, I, you know, maybe in the end, I ended up with some thoughts about how maybe this is like a my club, your club kind of thing, where this is certainly true as humans. We spend time with folks who think like us. We find a little group to think together with, and we end up seeing the world similarly. When we look into another club over there, we look at how they're seeing the world, and we think, oh, see, they, they call it something different, or they don't pay attention to the same things we do, or they're not interested in like we are. And, and oh, they, they do it different. They don't do that. And maybe that's true. Sometimes we definitely focus on, I don't, I don't focus on golf. I don't know much about what's going on in that world. That's a that's a club over there I'm not paying too much attention to. Well, certainly inside the therapeutic traditions, we look into each other's clubs and we look for 
the language and the process which we see similarities or differences and one of them could be how SE practitioners are encouraged to think about emotions and crying and you know emotive states not crying only just a particular one that I'm going to look at today you know and and emotions SE doesn't do emotions and and that thought that I used to have I think it still holds where do they get that idea from because as far as I can tell Peter has always talked about the value and importance of feeling states and emotions now he makes a distinction between these kinds of things and he has a rather nuanced perspective on them and I think he holds the role maybe perhaps very very accurately in terms of what the role of emotion is in terms of you know what could we say biological processing or the processing of the stress response or feeling states and how they help us to know when to approach and when to avoid things how they inform us on on when we need to enact self-protective measures and, and and you know if you if you go and you look at um in an unspoken voice his book an unspoken voice you can see in there there's a chapter what's that chapter it's um emotions the body and change yeah and he he does that dissection where you can hear him do that in public sometimes but he'll do that dissection where he he looks at the nuance between feeling emotions and how a you know a primary <laughs> well a new thing that we can appreciate now in a way that we might not have been able to appreciate from darwin or um even even somewhat recently but just that feelings are oftentimes a part of the urge to enact our self-protection yeah what we might call impulses in some of our trainings like um, peter names and in unspoken voice I remember he used the word urge like you have the urge to run from the bear you have the urge to cry you have the urge to have these involuntary actions take place and those are those are being informed by deep-seated prepared learnings in in our biology um, foundationally at the level of the autonomic nervous system responsible for our organismic you know homeostasis and the neuroceptive you know Am I safe enough? Okay, great. I can do these things. Oh, I'm not safe enough. Now I need to do these other things in order to get back to safety. And that I need to do these other things. This is my language, of course, but th those are those are primary in principle. They need to happen and their satisfaction, the allowance or the ability to have them happen feels good. It feels successful. It's the the I can principle. Like, you know, Peter talks a lot about how the the feeling of danger drives us to make the run from the danger and comes along with um, the sense of of doing and the sense of action of kind of the success of that and should should we be successful it's actually a empowering kind of thing to run away from a danger yet if we're thwarted the the flight is incomplete it's not allowed it's truncated there's an environmental condition there's a internal self-censor there's something that causes us not to be able to enact that flight then the feeling state changes and it turns into this what i think he describes as an emotive state where that that drive is being truncated and with it the um well you know you start to get all these kind of signals that say wow now something is really really wrong 
and drives all kinds of other experiences like emotions, fear, as an example. Inside of all of that, which, whew, should probably try not to go any further into all of that. Inside of all of that is this notion that we're on a daily basis trying to, trying to grok. Are you, are you trying to grok this? I'm, I'm trying to grok this. I'm trying to grok that there's this, there's the, there are these things, these activities, these behaviors, these experiences, these urges that arise spontaneously based on readings and analysis and very, very quick perceptual, mm, you know, translations that happen inside of us, inside of the combination between our past experience, the present moment of what we're seeing and being like the signal that we're receiving, whether it's internal or externally generated, and the nature of us, what we've been prepared to feel and see and experience in in, you know, evolutionary phylogenetic origins, kind of like, oh, you will want to run from things that are dark, scary, bigger than you and already running at you. Look, you want to run from that. Can you believe it? It's already prepared. Oh, you're dropping a stone. There is this thing and it was in your hand and now it's leaving your hand and it's coming toward your foot and you are jumping out of the way before you even think of it. You are somewhat prepared to do that jump. Something is coming toward you. You are prepared to move out of the way from it. Somebody gives you that face that says, Ooh, I don't like this muffin. And you're eating the same muffin. You have an impulse, an impression, an urge to let go of the muffin that's already inside of you. These things are ready to happen. And once they're triggered and want to happen, apparently they have a real, a real desire that says, Wow, you know, if this gets to go through me, and get me back to safety and get me where I don't have this muffin inside of me, it's going to feel pretty good to have gotten it out. Now, if I can't get it out, if it gets truncated for some reason, I hold it back, I swallow this down, ooh, I might feel off for mm, minutes, days, time. The allowance of these urges, the completion of these urges, the successful enactment of these urges is somehow inherently beneficial to our organisms and the truncation is clearly just, um, it's an imposition. It kind of apparently, you know, depends on how you listen to and how they talk about it, but it somehow maintains the signal that some part of that still needs to happen. And it apparently wants to recycle to give you the opportunity to enact it again. That's the reenactment phenomena, conditioning, et cetera, et cetera. Well, hey, let me step back from trying to be exhaustive one more time and say there are these things that want to happen when they get triggered up if they get to happen we feel better they don't whew, maybe not much changes maybe things come back and try and repeat themselves again and in the meantime maybe we still feel that urge that feeling that says "Ooh, something's wrong i gotta do something and then crying you know because that's, of course, something we see in our office all the time that's associated to people's involuntary experience. They're talking about something and it brings up some tears. They're talking about something and you would anticipate that it would bring up some feeling state in the eyes, some kind of crying kind of thing, and it doesn't. And the two of those mean something. They, they, they make us wonder what, what, what to do in order to help facilitate for 
this particular client, whoever it is we might be sitting with, how to help them come into that relationship where whatever of that crying wants to happen of its own, that has that urge, and that urge is a certain kind of amount of itself that it wants to do. And how can the structure of the body be free to allow those movements, those involuntary feelings and and impressions in the feeling state of the body, those somatic cues, you know, the, the tension in the face and the, the movement of the breath and the, the enough relaxation in the throat maybe for like the, the things to move. How can we allow this process to move through us and have its, in a way, its right involuntary relationship to itself where we're just kind of witness and participatory within, I, I guess, feeling it actively participating with it is something that we're we're keen on and then what do we do when that's not what's happening it's 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 gorgeous you know you you have you have a client and they're telling you about something that they they really feel into and and the feeling comes and it rolls right through and on the other side there's this exhale and <sighs> satisfaction this settling you could you can even be really sad you can be fully grieving and the allowance of that running from the danger brings that feeling of success and the allowance of those tears to move through and and the face to have its flush and and the all the hippie what is that that's um the you know hair standing standing on end with the goosebumps kind of thing, any of that that runs through is is more permissive. Some some amount more that it's not truncated, not hold back, feels relieving. Feels very very relieving. How to help that happen when it's not, or when it's happening too much? Because of course those are options, right? There's all kinds of different options. There's uh, and and in this place, I I just I think over and over, and I hope everybody will get a chance to check that out, This these maps that Stephen Hoskinson has laid out just about the over-inhibition of holding back that crying so it won't hit that right amount of itself, that threshold as it were perhaps. Or there's the abundance of crying where we kind of maybe have somebody or ourselves that cries too much and misses the, oh, that was how much that wanted to happen. Or on the back side, that satisfaction of having Oh, been able to feel the cry, being able to start to feel how that starts to settle, and then maybe having the impulse or the expectation, maybe the conditioning, you know, the compulsion to ramp it back up because maybe maybe a thought is in there that that crying is is more valuable, that that's where the goods are. You know, that's where I was almost just starting to feel better, whereas then I was letting myself cry and then I started to settle and that was kind of good, so maybe I'll go back and do more of that. Well, you know, it's this thing. There might be just like the right amount. And for somebody, that might need really to be held back, the right amount, like a really small titration, yeah? So in one place to consider the right amount, crying, how to help somebody move through their relationship with allowing themselves to feel in that kind of permissive kind of way. One place to see that nicely is when working at the level of energy wells. Those very, those very refined titrations where you're, you're trying to get into a track of a feeling state that's rising at a level that, that the abruptness of the change is going to be um, containable or noticeable, discreetly noticeable, because the, the charge that you're working for, with, although it might be in the background very high, you're trying to get the, the speed of that all to be within 
the range of you being able to track one moment to the next, to the next, to the next, the sense maybe of the, the water running, rising, not running, but increasing in the eyes, increasing in the eyes until the sense of it turning over the eyelid and then dropping then, right? And the sense, right, of like some kind of change, an energy well, a bigger opening space. And and what 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 a nice description of that threshold of a rising, turning over, and then dropping out, actually being able to see the water, the emotion rising up in the eye, and then turning and falling over. That That's a great one to look at. What is the real pattern of crying? Because of course, that could just be amplified, right? That could be, that could be sobbing, but it has the right height of that, and then it turns over, and I've done enough of that, and then it starts to settle. At both of those, the higher amplitude threshold, the lower amplitude threshold, or the more contained amplitude threshold, there is this, a really good thing for the practitioner to do is to name the peak of that threshold, the turn of that, so as to help to signal, oh, there was one direction, and now we're just going to turn and follow that other direction. So that's a that's it moment kind of thing, right? So that's one element that we'll be watching that there is a certain amount of enoughness or the right amountness or the height of that, the I've done that much, the threshold. And at that peak of it, we're looking for how can we help them to see that change? Uh-huh, or that's it, or right, and now maybe we just rest now. Different options there that we might call attention to it. Yet there is a, a background question, right? Because like, well, that's, that's nice because that's nice when everybody's when your client's already in the stream, they're actively following, they're tracking, they're watching one thing lead to the next, you know, and how to help somebody who has the maybe excessive crying or the inhibited crying, how to help them get involved in the first place. You know, that's maybe sometimes where we're trying to work our way back to. I've worked with people who haven't cried for 20, 30, 40 years a lot of them still live really rich and meaningful lives and and there's just a kind of um trend or tendency to hold back that style of emotion you know and um well you know who knows it could it could be all over the map but one definite place that i think that i would call our attention to in terms of that much withholding, something that's been held back that much time, part of what we might see there is that the feeling of threat that may be associated now with allowing that feeling to happen would, could, should, maybe is so great that it helps to actually reinforce the sense that it's not safe to allow ourselves to, or the client feels, maybe the organism just feels of its own without even thinking about it, it's not safe to go toward this feeling, right? So it stays frozen, undercoupled, dissociated, not allowed, um, out of the range of my experience. It, um, it, it should go, it should go without saying, but we will go ahead and say it. Um, that is not exactly the thing that we then just want to start to feel. Oh, you haven't been crying for 20 years? Well, you know, part of what I do here in my office is I help people feel themselves. And I and I really like to um, help people become more embodied. And you, you tell me that you haven't haven't 
cried for 20 years. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you into maybe this kind of felt sense feeling state investigation, the somatic experience investigation, and I'm going to help you cry. And we're just going to let that do it as much as it wants to get that right amount. You know, I hope you can hear my fishiness there. It's, it's just not something we'd want to do, you know, to, to take a feeling state that's been bound and held back in that way with some structure and a lot of conditioning to say, hey, don't do this. We might just go ahead and assume that if we're going to come into contact with those kinds of feelings, we're going to have to do it in the most titrated way. And when we do any contact with that, we're going to want those contacts to be successful rather than just another reason to reinforce well, in this case, stifling, right? Holding it back. So just keep that in mind. You, you got somebody who's who's got a long time of not doing this to ask them to just jump right into, well, you know, what we're trying to do is just feel ourselves. Be aware. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to feel ourselves with an appropriate amount of sense of safety, with a, cert, a certain necessity for this pendulation, this oscillation to happen that doesn't just say, this is dangerous for me. I have to counteract against this. So when we have a long-term freeze on those feeling states, let's not just assume that we're just trying to open those up. Yeah. Now that's on one extreme. There is this other extreme. Then let's just jump over there where the Maybe the tendency is to overcouple between thought and emotion, to have a thought, oh, the light on the hills, it just, it, it opens and breaks my heart, and, and the next moment there are tears welling up in my eyes, or any thought of a loss and a love brings the tears to my eyes, or any kind of reflection on the challenges of my daily life, which can be real, brings up this kind of quality of emotion to me, and and you know brings water and tears to my eyes well when that happens when that um maybe you know robust or return to that crying feeling state happens we often can look at that in se and say oh wow you know nothing new is really happening with that at this point that's kind of a repetitive consistent constant kind of thing we could maybe for sometimes we could bring up lots of different kinds of subjects and have a very similar kind of overcoupling the thought emotion, lots of feeling. And well, that's, you know, it's going to be hard to feel the right amount there too. It's going to be hard to find the, the threshold, the, the, oh, that's the urge. And that's all the urge of it. Instead we'll be, you know, oh, I start to go into this and it just kind of reinforces itself and reinforces itself more. And probably perhaps, you know, makes me cry a lot, maybe a lot more than is necessary. Certainly if it's happening all the time like that, it's quote, not moving through unquote. So when that happens, there's this really nice, um, hack. I think of it a hack. I don't want to name it that way. I did. It's a little bit of a hack, but it's, it's a, it's an awareness that that overcoupling is being fed between the thought and the emotion. And sometimes if you can, if you can just change the channel to one more, one more channel over to sensation, it can sometimes be more incorporated, more um, appreciated, more embodied, right? Where you would instead, uh, well, the line, I guess the classic line, I used to hear Steve and Peter do this, like, right, so as you feel the emotion, 
go ahead and feel the water in your eyes. Feel the tears. Feel the tears like that. And then see if you can feel it as water, as physical water in your eyes. And once the you know water is pouring down a person's cheek, one, one tear or multiple tears, it's to feel the physical sense of the water pouring down or moving down or running down or moving down your face. The, the idea being, you know, your language choice there is to direct the channel away from the attentional channel, in this case over to sensation, the sensation of physicality of water, the welling up, the liquid, the coolness, whatnot, the attributes like that, and away from the emotion, the thought about the emotion, like I have all these problems, or I always have this, or this always happens to me, or just the repetitive nature of the feeling of now I'm crying and it just has to continue to cry inside of this sense of, oh, I have this emotion, this badness, whatnot. If we can move it over to sensation, we sometimes get, you know, more, well, you know, more integration. That then is something to say. There are other things, but that's something to say. Also, in that this is a repetitive crying episode kind of thing, sometimes it's very valuable to work into the earliest part of that, right? Like what, what they sometimes call the prodromals and the preprodromals, the thing that happened before the thing that happened, and to try to work into the feeling state, sometimes in the eye, behind the eye, under the eye, of the very earliest urge of the welling up to happen and to try to separate, right? All of the other stimulus that could try to rise that higher and to hit the very earliest threshold, the very earliest feeling of that rising, the stimulus not being there to add to it. So the thought or the continued conversation. So this is, this is very much tracking into the felt sense of the feeling of that water behind the eyes. And long before letting it rise up very much, taking away any stimulus, pausing, giving enough time for that then to dissipate inside of itself. And, you know, you're trying to, what, I don't know, you call it, like do little exposures or get little experience with that rising and falling without triggering off the whole episode, getting to know the earliest stages so that it can be recognized in other times and other experiences so as to give some attention to it before ramping it up. Lots of different reasons to do that. Uh, including just under or uncoupling the entire sequence, which is the, one of the pride and jewels of what might happen in your session out there. To do that, however, you would certainly have to have that enough right amount of relationship of enough safety for the organism to be allowing these things to move through itself and the urge to be able to express itself and be felt and be integrated. So what do you got? You got folks who, you know, you'll, you'll want to loosen things up slowly. Maybe the voo sound, maybe an ing sound, sending some vibration up into the top side of the head, right? I-N-G rather than the V-O-O. The, there'll be just so many different, like, slightly into it. You'll do slight reflections and um, distant uh, reflections inside the storyline. There'll be ways to coming into the more stifled crying for the crying that's over the top already there, there'll be ways to back up and make it a little bit smaller. And through both, through both, 
not going to be exhaustive, guys. Sorry. There's just another dozen different ways to think about all these, and I'm just, that's not my role to get there. My role is to make you go back into your session today and say, yes, I am enthusiastic about meeting people where they're at and trying to help them to get to where they're trying to go. And if that's this person coming a little bit more into their emotive state, that's me. If that's this person being able to slow that down just a little bit so they can hit the right threshold rather than too much, that's me. You're in there. You're in there. So let me let me not try to be exhaustive anymore. Let me tell you a line that really helped me early, early on. A mini Marshall Peller. Ooh, used to be a senior assistant. Oh, wonderful, wonderful person. She had this line that she shared with me. Maybe, maybe she got it from somebody else. Maybe she found this on her own. She shared this in a training I was taking with her, somatic cranial sacral kind of thing. Really awesome. And we were talking about crying and talking about a lot of crying and being able to see when a cry wasn't being productive, when it was just repeating itself, when the activation cycle was just kind of in a loop. And it wasn't actually getting that sense of satisfaction and integration. And so she had a line that she shared. She said to the client, let's, let's put the, let's put all of it. Let's put all that we can. Let's put all that we can of the rest of it. Now you're matching the pace and the tone, at least in the way that I would present that with the pace and the tone of the, probably the sobs or the heaves, or, or maybe it's not that, that high intensity, but there's a certain rhythm that the person is crying. in. so you're going to kind of match with that. Like, you're right. Let's, let's put the rest of that. Let's put the rest of what's in there. However much we can of it, let's put it in. Let's put it into the next tier. Let's put as much of what's left into the next tier. Now, nowadays, I'd probably say let's put the next all that's amount that's left into the next drop of water. But in any case, to help kind of concentrate this and to titrate it in a way to say, we're not going to do this forever. We don't want to just continue to cycle through this. This is be a perspective of ours. There's, there's no satisfaction in the urge to just continue to repeat itself. It's just a conditioning of the system to continue to repeat itself. And if it's getting attention for doing that, well, it's most likely to just do that again. And so maybe we're looking for the titration out of that. And sometimes it, that line is really helpful. Let's put the rest of that into the next tier. And of course, if the rest of it is still there, there's still some more after the next tier, we just get to do it again. And that's my final word for today. Ae, eh, chorando, gritando, exclamando, eh, chorando é muito difícil, huh? Alegrimas descendo sua rosto. <laughs> Hard to breathe. Get all choked up inside. It's it's difficult to cry. You know, it it can feel really good and super relieving when it's just the right thing and it's oh yeah, and then other times, whoa, man. Well, you be careful out there and you also you let it happen when it can and, and you take care, okay? Get up, get up. Twig saying bye get now. Up. Bye-bye. I don't know, but isn't crying as human as it gets? Isn't there almost nothing more human than crying? Isn't it almost just that crazy unique for us? So 
whether we're holding back the cry, whether the cry is too much, whether we're right inside, oh, the free flowing and, and all my diaphragms and deep emotional containers are open enough that, that this can just move through from belly to top of head. My whole body can just roll with the tears and the grief of this so I can move on through these feeling states. No matter what, holding it back, writing it too much, doing it again and again and again, or really being able to experience it and move through. Let's be clear as practitioners that are ever, ever trying to be more human. This is a human thing. And sure, maybe there's ways for it to be more productive. And absolutely, there are ways that it can get stuck and truncated. And the more human we can be around it, the more likely we are to help it be successful. If you've got some crying coming up, I hope the waves are going to move right through. And if you're crying from last week or last month is already passed and gone, great. And if someday there's going to be lots and lots of tears rolling right out of you, I hope they just move on through. And if you don't need to cry over anything for a long, long time to come, I hope you get to breathe real easy on your way to the next time that it comes because it certainly will it certainly will i'll be seeing you again bye bye now <laughs>